I want to talk to you today about how Jesus is your healer. And because this is a big, big part, you have to know that God is your great physician. He's not a practicing physician. He doesn't practice. He knows everything, right? Where there is no natural remedy, his healing power is more than enough. He could either heal your liver or put a new one in you. He could either heal your heart or put a new one in you. Neither are, neither are, are hard. I love when Jesus was ministering to someone and they got a little upset at him because he said, you know, brother, your sins are forgiven. And they got all upset. Well, who do you think you are on this earth that you could forgive sins? And then he said, well, he didn't say which is harder. He said, which is easier, right? That I say your sins are forgiven or if I say rise, take up your bed and walk. And this crippled person gets up and walks, showing healing's not hard. So as we start talking about Jesus the healer, notice I didn't say Jesus and you are the healer, right? Because in our circles, the fight of faith is to stay at rest. So if you have some things going on in your body, the thing is, is you just need to stay at rest and rest in the fact that you were healed already. It already happened. I mean, it already happened like almost 2,000 years ago before you were even born. You, healing was provided for you for your specific ailment. And then God went before you and he prepared a table before you right in the presence of your enemies. He already finished everything you would need. So he knew that if, man, your knee wasn't going to work very good, he already had healing provided for you. He knew that if this thing called cancer would try to attack your body or tumors would grow that were cancerous or whatever, diabetes, anything, arthritis, he already provided healing for that. And how did he do it? Jesus, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, it says, Christ hath, past tense, talking about on the cross, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is very clear that it, it includes all sickness and all disease. I mean, it's amazing. So Jesus redeemed us by being made a curse for us, right? Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he did that so the blessing of Abraham could come upon us, taking care of all of our financial problems. He also did that so that we could receive the spirit through faith, be born again, to be redeemed from spiritual death. So you've been redeemed. So if you're sitting here today with pain in your body, with sickness in your body, with disease in your body, you need to realize, number one, the origin of all of that is from Satan. Jesus called sickness and disease satanic oppression. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I didn't take care of my body. Okay, so, okay, so this is the deal. If, if Adam hadn't sinned in the garden, 
sickness and disease would not be here. Right? So let's say you messed up your own body. Well, just repent. It doesn't change the fact that healing's been provided for you. Right? Now, if you choose, just like anything else, if you choose to go your own way and do your own thing, and the Holy Spirit's telling you, man, you need to do something here, you need to lose weight, you need to get in shape, you need to change your diet, and you're like, I refuse. You know, if you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day and you're like, yeah, I'm not changing, well, now you're, it's still been provided for you, it's still there, you just will never be able to lay hold on it. Does that make sense? But it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I took so many drugs, I just fried my brain. You know, there's a book, it's really a cool book, it was, it was published years and years ago of Calvary Chapel pastors. Some of these guys were in insane asylums. They had fried their brains on drugs and God miraculously healed them and now they're pastoring thousands and thousands of people. Well, I say that. Now a lot of these guys that I was with, they're thinking about retiring, which I can't figure that one out. But I think the reason why I can't figure that out is because I started real late. I just have never found the word retire in the Bible. I found the word go home, live till you're satisfied, well, I got to tell you, I would not be satisfied not doing ministry. No way, right? So anyway, I kind of feel like I'm just getting started. My wife sent me that article about your greatest years are in your 60s, 70s, and 80s. So I figure I know the rapture is going to happen before I get in my 70s and 80s probably. So, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty, pretty right in there. So, yeah, that's great. No, but you know what? The reason why I'm saying this is God wants you healed, and Satan will tell you the reason why you're not healed is because of you, and he's a liar. Doesn't matter if you messed up your body, just repent and receive healing. And he'll heal and restore. Doesn't matter if you're getting older and you've worked really hard, right? You know, I've just worked really hard and my back, it is just wore out. That sounds great in the natural, but you serve a God that will provide you new discs for your spine, new nerves, new bones, right? Can, the healing power of God can eradicate all arthritis from your body. Amen. Take out cancer, right? Restore your blood levels to their natural level, but you just have to rest, right? Satan, it frustrates him when you won't move off the fact that by his stripes I was healed. So we're going to talk about that, so let's jump over to Exodus, I heard this all night, so you're going to hear it today. Exodus chapter 15. Actually, go to Malachi chapter 3 first. We'll get to Exodus. But go to Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. And I want to say a few things. So the Septuagint, I don't know, you've heard me talk about the Septuagint. So what was that? So it, the word Septuagint means the seventy. So 70 rabbis got together and they translated the Hebrew scriptures because the Hebrew language was lost. The Jews could not speak it. It was lost. So they, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, okay, so that the common man could have God's word. This was completed in about 132 BC. Now what's amazing about that 
is so now we have all the way up to 132 BC. I mean, literally about 130 years before Christ was born, we have literally a commentary that the scriptures are intact. It's amazing. You know, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they found the book of Isaiah, it's exactly the way it is, right? The way it was originally written. God is big enough to protect his word through all these years. We can look back and we can know the the rabbinical thought of this Old Testament scripture, what it said. Now the Jewish, why why did the Jews lose this Hebrew language? And, And here's the thing. One of the signs that Jesus is about to return is he, right before his return, it's prophesied that the Hebrew language would be restored. And you know what? In your generation, it's been restored. Supernaturally. That doesn't sound like a lot. You know, in your generation, you know, Israel became a nation for the second time. You know how many times that's happened in human history? That's the first. And you know what happened in our day? It's amazing. It was even prophesied that it would, they would become a nation in a day. And they did. I mean, very specific... We're living at the end of time. Have you noticed the increase of sickness and disease? It's amazing. Now, I don't know if the percentages are greater. With technology, we hear about everything, right? Now, we hear about everything and then some because a lot that we hear is nonsense, right? But, but that's why we have to stick to the word of God. You can't believe what you hear on the news. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit that will get over to us everything we need to know. But sickness and disease has always been with mankind, and God is a healer. You have to know that. He's your great physician. God has no plans for you to be sick. He doesn't want you living your life afraid of any virus, right? He doesn't want you to live your life afraid of sickness and disease. Live your life with a mentality and a thought process that at a certain age, this is what I should expect. You know, some arthritis, some this, some pain, right? No, that's not Bible. So the Jewish people, the reason why they lost this language, they were scattered by the Babylonian and the Assyrian captivity, right? They were scattered all over the earth. Because of this, only Orthodox Jews, only those guys spoke Hebrew in Jesus' day, right? So that's why the Septuagint is amazing. Jesus did not speak Hebrew when he was on the earth. He spoke Aramaic, which is a form, it's a type of the Greek language. So whenever Jesus said, it is written, he would always quote the Septuagint, when Paul would write, he would, he would literally, he spoke Hebrew, he would quote the Hebrew scriptures because he was a Pharisee. So Aramaic, it was a Semitic language that was just the language of the time of Jesus. So, you know, why am I making some of these things? It'll help you understand the validity of the word of God. Many of the New Testament references of the Old Testament refer back to the Septuagint, not the Hebrew text. In the last 60 years, think about that, this Hebrew language has resurfaced. That's just amazing, right? Get ready, because all of us will probably speak Hebrew. 
you might as well learn it now if you want. I don't know. I don't have time, <laughs> right? I'm just thankful for all these tools. You could learn a lot with what the Hebrew language says compared to the Bible by the click of a button. So in this lesson, when I refer to the Old Testament, I personally am going to be referring to the Septuagint. So we're going to look at what the scriptures, these Old Testament scriptures say out of the Septuagint. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord. I change not. God never, ever, ever changes. He's not different in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. He never changes. It says, therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. See, this scripture, it's a picture of God's unchanging nature. God is saying to these guys, you're blessed that I don't change. That's the reason why you're not being consumed right now, because I am a God of mercy and I never change. The context of this passage in Malachi is judgment. God was saying to these people, the only thing that's keeping you from being consumed is that I made a promise to Abraham and his descendants and I will not change. God made a promise to Abraham and his descendants. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 tells us that we are Abraham's descendants and we're heirs according to to that promise. If you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I love that. So now, jump over to Numbers chapter 23. Let's look at another scripture about how that God does not change. Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. That Hebrew word means to change. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? See, why, why is this scripture in the Bible? Moses was responding to the children of Israel that were saying to him, hey, this just doesn't work. I wonder, if has, is anybody saying that now? Oh, man, yeah. I tried that healing thing. I tried that tithing thing. You know, I tithe Sunday, and, you know, I, I've been messing up my finances for 12 years, and, and God didn't fix it all. And it's already Tuesday morning, <laughs> right? But this is, what, what is the answer to this just doesn't seem to be working? God is not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent, right? Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken it, and shall he not bring it to pass and make it good in your life? God, in other words, does not lie and does not change, right? Now, you've got to realize that God does not lie. He'll never lie to you, but he will never change. We have to say this in America because we seem to really always want God to change and line up with what we want to do, right? We live our life with many blind spots because of pride, because we come to the scriptures, we come to church, 
We come to a church and that pastor better say what we want or I'm out. I'll go to another church, right? Or, I, I, you know, uh, pastor, I love you and I'll stay, but when I hear this scripture, I'm not doing that. Now, I'll do that. I like the blessing ones, but don't, don't talk to me about keeping my flesh under, right? So what happens there is we begin, we start to train ourselves, we train our soul to think that God will change, but he doesn't change. But here's the good news. If you'll line up with him, man, his word is true. He will make it good. He will perform it in your life. Our foundation, the foundation that we live in as Christians, is God is good and he never changes. Right? He'll never change. He's always good. Titus chapter 1 in verse 2 it's a real powerful scripture. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. It doesn't say that not only will he not lie, he can't. Listen, if God showed up here right now and said, it's Monday, all of you would be sitting here going, oh my gosh, I have got to get to work because it's Monday. Because if he said it's Monday, guess what? It would be Monday. Because he cannot lie, and he doesn't change. I love that. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In other words, what God says is true. Why is it true? Because God said it. God's word is truth. Why is it truth? Because he said it. That's all he can say is truth. He always tells the truth. It's impossible for him not to tell the truth. Because if he said it, it would be truth. Because he's alive. So Exodus chapter 15. Let's look at verse 22 and let's just read some of this. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur... And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So think about this. The children of Israel got up in Egypt and, and they, they spent their last day in Egypt. They saw all these plagues, right? All this stuff came upon the Egyptians and not upon them. And then at the end of the day, they had the Passover lamb that they ate it. Then after they ate it, they took the blood, took a hyssop branch, put it on their doorposts. And while the firstborn of the Egyptian culture, animals, people, everything, the firstborn was killed, the destroyer came, as we see, read that story, killed all their firstborn. When the destroyer saw the blood, it would cover them and the destroyer could not come in. So once again, they're seeing all these miracles. And then as they eat this meal, think about this, every one of them who was feeble, this could be missing body parts, wore out body parts. They were slaves. Sickness. They weren't fed the best foods. All, everybody who went to bed sick, in pain, weak, woke up, healed. The whole nation, not one out of two to three million. They say it could be as many as seven million. Not one person sick. 
Not one person with a missing body part. Not one person whose joint didn't work right. Nobody limping. You talk about a healing service. So then they, they go and they ask the Egyptian people who were there, who were over them, for all of their jewelry, wealth, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, take everything. And they literally come out of Egypt with a great spoil. They come to the Red Sea, and now they're standing before this Red Sea, and the Egyptian army's coming to kill them, right? And then they see God part this Red Sea. Not only part it, but dry the ground, and then they walk over in a, in a, could you imagine walking through the sea? I mean, they're seeing sea life, they're on the bottom. You know, I mean, how deep was it, right? That would be pretty intense. I mean, the number one word of the day was probably wow. <laughs> wow, 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 right? And then they get to the other side, and they see this army, the greatest army in the nation, go into the Red Sea, and then they see the Red Sea just completely crush them, Right? You know, when they found the remains of the chariots, they, they didn't find whole chariots with tires on them. Because could you imagine all that water just hitting? You know, there's, there's wheels, there's this, there's that all over the place. So they see the greatest army, their God, completely wipe them out. So they see God heal them, deliver them, prosper them, and now protect them. And now three days later, they're walking for three days without water. Now that's not easy. Thank God there was not one feeble among them because a feeble person couldn't walk and hike for three days with no water, right? But with no water, they came to these waters of Mara and they could not drink of the waters because they were bitter. There were lime deposits in this water, so the water was very, very bitter. Do you imagine not drinking any water for three days? Then you come up to water and it's bitter, it had to be so bitter because these guys are got to be, they had to be trying to drink it because I just need water. And they're probably throwing up, they're trying to drink, and it, it just, they couldn't do it. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, right? It means bitter. And look at verse 24. After all that they had been through, their first response was the people murmured against Moses. These are scriptures that kept me out of the ministry for years. I'm like, come on. Why are they murmuring against Moses? Why don't they murmur against God? Well, they are, but they like to, they put a face to it, right? They murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Now, if you study types and shadows in the Old Testament, this tree represents Christ. Which when Moses cast the tree into the waters, whenever you see waters, it's all, it could be a body of water or it could be humanity, a large group of people. So in this case, this type, they threw the tree, which is a type of Christ, into the waters, which is a type of humanity. Okay? And the waters were made sweet. Do you know you can go to the waters of Mara today? They are still sweet. 
after all of these years. There he made a statute. This word statute means there he made a law and an ordinance. That means there was a legal decision. A judgment was rendered to put this law in place. And there he proved them. That word prove means, and there he tested them. Verse 26, and said. So, so he's basically saying, hey, this is a rule that will never change. And here it is. Here's the rule that will never change. If you will diligently hearken. To hearken means to hear and obey. Do you see why when we say when you come to the word, you have to come to the word to obey it? We've lost the meaning of lordship. Jesus is not just my savior. No, he's my Lord. That means not my will, but his will. Right? Well, I'm just not going to serve because I don't want to. Yeah, but he says to seek him first. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. That might make you mad that I'm saying that right now. I'd rather you get mad at me than you stand before the head of the church because the minute you step out of your body, you're going to be like, wow. I wasted my life. I live for myself. Right? Oh, you're still going to enter his rest, but you're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to shrink back. The Bible says we don't want to be those that shrink back. I don't want anybody shrinking back. I don't want to shrink back. Right? This is a law. If you will hear and obey. Wow, pastor, that's not popular. You know, come on, you can maybe save this sermon and grow the church. Start throwing in a cool story right now. <laughs> Tell a joke. Maybe three or four really cool leadership techniques. Come on, Pastor, spike your hair a little more. Get some skinny jeans. Dye your hair jet black. If you lose it, take the three hairs that you still have and, and put them over your head or spike them and they'll still think you're young like you know everything and it'll be really cool. And you could, no, 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 no. The word. It's the word. What are you guys laughing at? <laughs> the three hairs, yeah, there we go. If you will hearken, if you will hear and obey the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. Did you notice all that stuff, right? Do that which is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments. Keep his statutes. What, is, what are you doing when you do that? You're, you're hearkening. Right? I, this word I, this is normally a personal pronoun, but it, it's not a personal pronoun here. Will put, do you know the words I will put are not in the original manuscripts? They're not there. They were added by the translators. They're not in any credible manuscripts that they've ever found in this scripture. Because people read this stuff and think God's going to put some stuff on them. 
I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, which I have brought. This is in the Hebrew permissive tense. It's not in the causative tense the way that it is written in English. In the manuscripts, it's in the permissive tense. So it wouldn't say, I have brought. It would say, which I have allowed. We know that God is sovereign, but we know rule number one of sovereignty. It's very clear in the Bible. Man's will trumps God's will. So in other words, God must allow what you and I allow. So don't allow sickness and disease in your life because God doesn't want it to be there, right? I will not allow any of these, these diseases that have come upon the Egyptians. I won't allow them on you. Why? For I am the Lord that heals you. So let's look at the literal meaning of this without the I will put. It would literally read like this in the, in the Hebrew manuscripts, in the Septuagint, same thing. None of these diseases that have come upon the Egyptians will come upon you, for I am the Lord that heals you. That's the way it would read. But religion has a way that doesn't make sense to religion, right? It's always I've got to do something. It's always, well, I've got to leave my way out. So if I need healing, then I just pray, Lord, heal my body, please, if it be your will. And then if I don't get healed, well, it just must not be his will. That's a lie straight from the pit. Because this says none of the diseases that have come upon the Egyptians will come upon you because I am the Lord that heals you. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So in other words, the rule or the law of Exodus 15, 26 is you put God's word first and act on his word and he will allow no sickness to come on you. So now, so now let's look at this because is in the ministry of Jesus, was it always the person's disobedience that caused sickness and disease? No. Sometimes Jesus said, hey, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Other times, when he was asked, he's like, no, it's not the parent's fault or his fault. And we know as we study New Testament scripture, healing's been provided, right? We know that you will prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So that you could just have the enemy. You could be doing everything right, just living your life. You're not living in sin. And, and sickness could attack your body. Why? Well, because maybe you just don't have that revelation that God's your healer. But you can grow to the point where you know that he's your healer. See, divine healing is wonderful, but it's not God's best. Divine health is God's best. When do you start seeing that? When you have no symptoms in your body, 
right? Now you can just start believing God just for divine health. Because what do you learn from being sick? That it's better to not be sick, right? That's it. God doesn't have to teach you anything with sickness. That, that, that just, that's ignorance gone to seed, right? So let's look at this. Put God's first, put God's word first, act on his word, and he will allow no sickness upon you. Now, according to this scripture, this is a law and a rule that will never change as long as we are on the earth. Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that heals you. You could translate it, I am the Lord your healer. I am your great physician. There's many different translations, but it's basically, I am Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals thee. So this is the first way that God identifies himself to the children of Israel after they come out of Egypt. The, I mean, think about it. When they came out of Egypt, the last thing was they got healed, they got delivered, they were prosperous. Now they're in the wilderness, they're in a situation, and now the answer is Jesus. Once again, Christ, the tree being thrown in the water, and that's where now God comes on the scene and he says, guys, I am Jehovah Rapha. He uses one of his great redemptive names. There's many of them, seven primary redemptive names that talk about his character and his nature. The first one that he uses is I am Jehovah Rapha. It was important to them then. It's important. Don't you think it's important now? You gotta know that. Man, I hope this corona deal is the worst that it gets. Knowing Satan, eh, I don't think he just is going to give up, right? But it doesn't matter, God is your healer. And that's what we must know. God is looking back to the Passover when he says, I am the Lord that heals you. See, what's interesting with this, I am the Lord that heals you, you cannot tell from the language if God is saying, I'm the Lord that did heal you, or I'm the Lord that is healing you. You can't tell if he's saying, I'm the Lord that will heal you. It's just, I am the Lord your healer. He was my healer. He is my healer. He will always be my healer. He never changes. Wow. In Hebrew and Greek, there are tenses in these languages, but where it says, I am the Lord that healeth you, there are no tenses. Because God wanted you to know in very, very specifically, you can't have enough degrees in English to change this, anyone. There's no tenses. I am the healer. I always am. I was, I am, I always will be. Right? This is big. So now Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. Is this helping you a little bit? So important. And I got to tell you, for you younger people, 
that don't know what, what we're talking about here because your joints feel fine and your blood work, you go eat pizzas every day and your blood work is still okay. Listen, just get this now because you're going to blink and, you know, and the enemy's going to try to be messing with you. And you're here to minister to others. So get this. Numbers 14, 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live. Now this is a statement. As truly as I live, this is God going, I am proclaiming an oracle of God right now. This is a never-ending unchangeable law as truly as I live it will go as long as I live guess how long God's going to live forever right say unto them as truly as I live saith the Lord as you have spoken in my ears so it says in English so will I do to you but it's in the permissive tense again to read it literally in the manuscripts it would say so will I allow or so will I permit to you. In other words, whatever you say is what God has to allow in your life. So don't run around here saying, man, my back is killing me. My knee is killing me, right? Don't run around saying that you can't be healed. Yeah, but pastor, I'm just being real. Yeah, stop it. Stop being real carnal, real fleshly. It will produce real death in your life, right? This is not, this is very important. Literally, you can say it this way in the, in the Hebrew language or in the, even in the Septuagint, it would say, as I am eternal, so is this principle eternal. Whatever you say in my ears is what I'm going to allow in your life. Wow. See, the whole Old Testament, God would tell them, man, if you would do this, if you just obey me, I'll bless you, I'll increase you, I'll heal you, I'll protect you. They would, they would start being really blessed, and then they start going and pursuing other gods and hooking up with other, other people that are serving other gods and let this beautiful lady that they met, that they were sure they were going to lead to Judaism, but, you know, they just thought, and I'll just marry her. And then, okay, I guess you could bring your little idol into our life. Right? Kind of like today, Christians that want to live for God, but their whole circle of friends doesn't serve God, doesn't know God, and they wonder why they keep messing up. Or people who marry someone that is going in a different direction than them, and no long, they can no longer fulfill the plan of God for their life. You know, we got to be careful. But what would happen? They would start going and, and pursuing other gods. God would send them prophets, warn them, please come back, please come back. No, 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 no. And the whole Old Testament is all about God finally has to do this law. Whatever you're saying in my ears, now I've got to allow it. So God would render judgment, which would allow the enemy access and you see him going into captivity, dying, getting sick. The moment when they turn to God, what happens? God comes pouring right back in. He doesn't get down on them. He just comes in and starts restoring them, delivering them, all this stuff. Then they start going out again, and pretty soon he has to render judgment. It, even, 
uh, in parts of Scripture in the Old Testament, you can see that God, you can see the, the stress almost. It's just, it's like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to render judgment and allow the enemy access, but I have to. It brings God no pleasure. Then the whole Old Testament is like that. What do we learn from that? Let's just be doers of the word. Let's just hear and obey the word. Right? So, so let's look at this. He reveals himself in a powerful way to these people. So now let's jump here real quick. Exodus chapter 3 now, verse 1 through verse 4. If you look at it, God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He revealed himself to Moses. Look at, look at this, how, how God reveals himself to Moses. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, Moses looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside. This in the in the Hebrew language, in the Septuagint, it would it would literally mean, I will depart from my course of action. He departed from his course of action to go see this burning bush and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt and when the lord saw that he turned aside to see isn't that interesting god did not speak until he turned aside to see sounds a lot like in the new testament if you draw near to god he will draw near to you you see it in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water to the other side and didn't come in the boat until they invited him. He would have just walked right by. Why is that? God is a gentleman. You have to, he can't, he he's just doesn't ever force your will. I think one of the big reasons why he does it, well, first of all, it's not his nature, but the nature of the enemy, is he's always trying to force your will. Makes total sense when you realize that Satan is going to and fro on the earth, seeking whom he may devour, like a lion. What does a lion do? They sit back and they wait to see which animal is getting away from the pack. He does not want people in packs. Why do you think we gather? We're made to gather. Yeah, but I just like being alone. That's just your flesh. Now, is it okay to be alone? Yeah, sometimes you need to be. You need to draw away and you need to get alone. But guess what happens when you get alone? You're not alone. You're getting away from people to go be with your God. But you're never alone. You know who's going to be alone? People that are in the lake of fire. People in hell. They're alone. Listen, this is nothing new. Satan is working. He always has been. It just looks a little different because of technology. He's still the same. Get that. He's still the same. 
He's still the same defeated devil now that he always has been. The only difference is now we have a lot, we have a lot more revelation knowledge of who we are in Christ now. So, man, we're going to keep him at bay. So look at this. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burnt. And when the Lord, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, see, God wants you to recognize him. That's why he put his spirit in you, so that you'll always turn aside and recognize him. So don't, get, don't lock yourself into being so busy that you can't put him first. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. I think that's hilarious. Whenever God really wanted to speak to somebody, he would always use their name. God doesn't stutter. Right, remember he said, Saul, Saul. When he went to Samuel, he called Samuel three times. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Then he's dealt with Tony Finley before. Wow, I have no idea how many times he's had to call my name. Tony, 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 Tony. Wow, Tony, you're underwater, bud. Tony, you're, li- you're messing, come on, crop, please. I'm here. Can you relate to that? See, he said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here am I. What it, this interaction's really amazing. Why saying more than once? God wants intimacy with you. So he shows you intimacy. Guess, guess who determines the level of intimacy that you have with God? You do. God loves everyone the same. Did Jesus pick Peter, James, and John? Or did Peter, James, and John pick Jesus? They they picked Jesus. They're always around, right? You determine your level of intimacy. You and I, we have to know this. You will never be satisfied without him. Because you're not, you're not, you're not created to be apart from him. God identifies himself to Moses in the burning bush because Moses, why? Moses didn't know who he was. So see, before God ever calls you to do something, he'll call you to himself because you must know who he is to go out and do anything for him. Have you ever heard somebody preach that it's very obvious that they don't know God, right? But have you ever heard anybody minister out of the overflow of their personal walk? It's a completely different thing. God wants you to know him. So in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am is the Hebrew word hayah, H-A-Y-A-H, H-A-Y-A-H. It means to be, to become, to exist. It's used over 3,500 times in the Old Testament. When God says be, 
what he is doing, he's sending and he's releasing something that causes change. When he says, be healed, we see Jesus saying that, right? When he says that, he's sending, he's releasing something that causes change. When he says, be free, he's sending and releasing a freedom that causes change. The Hebrew and the Greek meaning of I am that I am means I am everything that you will ever need to be or that you will ever need me to be for your benefit. God is saying, now, now this is the God that doesn't change. So today, he's saying to you, I am everything that you'll ever need me to be for your benefit. Wow. Do you know God knows things that you need that you haven't even known yet? And he's saying to you today, I am everything that you need me to be in every situation for your benefit. That's who God is. He is the great I am, right? It's hard to even say that. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Why? He wanted to bring them to himself. Why did he bring you and I out of the world? Why did he send Jesus? Because he wanted to bring us to himself. I love that. God loves you. So we have these redemptive names, Jehovah Rapha, all these things. He revealed himself seven ways in the Old Testament, seven predominant ways. There, we call them the seven redemptive names of God. Remember redemption? To purchase you out of one condition and place you into another condition. Jehovah means the self-existent one who reveals himself and who keeps covenant, fulfills promises, and takes action. Your father takes action. Your father's right there whenever you need him. And he's not there to stand by. He wants to take action. The seven redemptive names of God reveal major redemptive rights that we have. Jehovah Raha right? The Lord, our shepherd. What is a shepherd? The one who feeds, the one who leads, the one who protects, right? Then you got Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, the one who looks ahead and provides for every need. Jehovah Rapha, as we've been talking about, the Lord that healeth thee, the Lord, your healer. Jehovah Nisi, right? The Lord, our banner, or the Lord who is our victory. Jehovah Shammah, I love this one. The Lord who is our ever-present help in time of need. You could say it this way, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Jehovah Shalom, Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Wow. See, the only way to lay hold and act on the peace of God, literally is to act on your redemptive rights. Jehovah Sidkenu, I love this one, the Lord, our righteousness. Righteousness, we've been made righteous. You don't see any of these redemptive names in the New Testament in this form, 
but you see all of those redemptive names wrapped up in one name in the New Testament, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's everything. So Exodus, wow. Exodus 23, verse 25, it says this, and you shall serve. This, this word serve means, in the Hebrew language, it means to worship. And you shall serve or you shall worship the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water and will take sickness away from the midst of thee. And there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. Aren't you glad that God says he will fulfill your days? Wow. I love that word serve, because it means to worship. God is saying, and you shall passionately pursue my presence. That's how we serve him. And then worship happens as he responds to us. Do you see the intimacy? God said, I'll bless your food. I'll take sickness from you. In other words, God is saying, go ahead and eat and healing will come. When did that happen? That happened, first of all, at the Passover. He's making reference to the Passover. In other words... As you pray over your food, this isn't like a little ritual. No, you're literally, when you pray over your food, you are looking back to the Passover. You're looking at Jesus. For us, we're looking back to the cross where Jesus was made sick so that I could be healed. And when we say, Father, we thank you for blessing our food today and taking sickness from our midst You are looking back to the cross. You are saying, Jesus took it back then, so I don't have to have it now. If you follow him and obey him, he'll take sickness from you. You're giving him a legal right. Psalm 105, verse 37 says this. Psalm 105, 37. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble or sickly among their tribes when they came out of Egypt. So turn to Psalm 103. Let's just talk about this a little bit. Psalm 103, verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Healeth, it's the word rapha. It's used 67 times in the Old Testament, and it always means physical healing. Wow. Who redeems, who redeems, who redeemeth. It's a present participle. It means it's a continuous redeeming action who continually redeems thy life from destruction who crowns you continually with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth continually with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles how is your youth renewed with your mouth when your mouth speaks the word of god it renews you 
The literal meaning of verse four and five, of verses four and five, you could read it like this literally. The one redeeming thee from destruction and decay, the one crowning thee with compassion, the one satisfying thee. In the Greek language of the Septuagint, God is right now doing these things. God, do you realize God is the one who is keeping your heart beating right now? Wow. I was witnessing to a person one time who just said they couldn't believe this whole thing because, you know, they were, uh, they were in a doctor and, and they just deal only with facts. And I'm like, you know, that's wonderful that you were so smart that you can get out of medical school. Of course, because of the brain that God put in your skull. And oh, by the way, what about the, the lungs that you, you couldn't have done medical school without lungs, let alone without the air? Do you see the fallacy of mankind? Well, I'm all that. You're blind. I couldn't, I couldn't be up here right now. If God, if God stopped beating my heart, guess what? Be an interesting story, wouldn't it? Wow, Pastor Tony falls dead, goes home. Nothing I could have done for, yeah, I couldn't have fought my way through that one. Right? What am I here saying today? You're a walking miracle. Do you know it's miraculous that all matter is being held together? They still can't figure that one out. Well, we know everything is held together by the word of his power. Jesus is holding everything together right now. Do you know if the sun came a little bit closer to the earth, no life? If it went a little bit further from the earth, no life? I mean, God is holding everything in balance. He could heal your shoulder, right? He could heal you. Acts 17, 28 says, for it is in him that we live and move and have our being. In other words, God is our source of life and he is the sustainer of life and he's the healer of my body. So in Psalm, let's look at this. We got a few minutes left here. Psalm 107, verse 17 through verse 20. We quote verse 20 a lot, but let's look at the whole thought pattern here. It says, fools, Psalm 107, 17, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. In other words, they leave the word of God. And they draw near unto the gates of death then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. Aren't you glad? He does this for everyone who will call upon him. Verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. See, this is how God saves this is how he saves them. How? He sends his word. In other words, there's a specific manner in which healing comes. It comes through the word of God. Right? It does that in the Old Testament, and it does that in the New Testament. 
If you do what I say and keep my word, then I am able to take sickness from you. In other words, be a doer of the word of God and God is able to take sickness and disease from you. Look at Isaiah 53. The great redemptive chapter starts out in verse 1. It says, who hath, past tense, believed our report. That word report literally means who has believed our announcement? Who has believed our doctrine? Who has believed, God says, my report that I gave through the prophets now to a New Testament believer and who I gave now through Jesus? And to whom is the arm? The word arm means, and to whom is the power of the Lord revealed? The power of the Lord is only revealed to those that believe the report. If you don't believe the report that by his stripes you're healed, there's no power there to heal you. Right? The first thing mentioned in the great redemptive chapter is the importance of believing. Verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, that means no outward beauty, nor comeliness. That means there was the God's glory, splendor, and majesty. He laid aside these things. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. That means he is disrespected and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, this word sorrows means Jesus was a man of pains. And acquainted, that means he experienced grief. The word grief there is the word sickness. So if I want to read this literally, he, was, he is a man of pains and experienced sickness. When? In his earthly ministry, when he was for that three years? Well, no, only at the end, when he was on the cross. Well, it started when he was beaten, that whole redemptive thing, right? And it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, again, he was disrespected, and we esteemed or regarded him not, in other words, this verse here, this verse 3 of Isaiah 53, you could write in your Bible, this is describing Jesus on the cross. Verse 4, surely. This word surely is not a female name. That's deep, isn't it? No, no, this Hebrew word means without question, absolutely, truly. This is not a filler or a filter word. God wanted us to know that healing is a part of redemption. This word surely is a very important. He's saying, guys, hold on, you have to see this. He hath borne, that means he, to bear away the punishment of another. He bore our griefs. It's the Hebrew word koli. It means he bore our sicknesses and diseases and carried our sorrows. It's the, it's the Hebrew word macabre. It means he carried our pains. Yet, see now, why is that important? Because he bore it, you don't have to bear it. So if it's in your body, you have no, you have a legal right for it to leave your body. 
And this includes all, all sickness, all disease, all pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken. This word stricken means one who strikes another. Smitten, beaten, and wounded of God. What? Yeah. God loves you and I and wants us to be free from sickness and pain so much that he struck Jesus. He took all the weight of the sickness and disease. See, God couldn't strike Jesus as the author of sickness and disease. No, he had to take all of it that was already here because of the, because of the curse that came because of the fall of man and man's disobedience. And he took all of it in his hands and beat Jesus with it. And it says here, and, and afflicted, God literally pulled himself back and allowed Satan and all those demonic powers to oppress him. The Bible says to look at him. See, when he was being beaten with a physical whip, that was not the hardest thing that he was going through. He was being beaten with the unseen so that you and I could be whole. So Jesus went to the cross with the joy set before him of you and I walking free from sickness and disease. The father was beating his son with the joy before him of what it would mean to you and I. They were doing the same thing. Wow. Physical healing. Notice it's listed in the great redemptive chapter before the remission of sins is listed. Wow. Do you think God knew we were going to kind of fight this one? Surely healing is a part of God's redemptive work. Verse 5. But he was wounded. That means he was pierced, he was profaned, and he was defiled. Stripped naked in front of the world, beaten, spit on, cussed at, stabbed for our transgressions. What is that? That's Adam's sin that we were born into. He was bruised. He was, that means he was crushed and he was oppressed for our iniquities. These are our personal sins. He was wounded for Adam's sin. He was bruised for our sins. The chastisement, this means the penalty, the restraint and the punishment of our peace. This is the Greek word or the Hebrew word shalom. It means not only peace, but it means health, welfare, success, and victory. See, the thing that was restraining peace, health, welfare, prosperity, success, the thing that was being kept, that was keeping that from us, it was upon him. So now the blessing of Abraham could come on us. The peace of God, could, we could live in it. And with, literally, it would, this, it, we use the word with 
but it's literally by. It's the word by. By his stripes, or his, and, and actually it's interesting, because this says stripes in the Hebrew language, it's by his bruise we are healed. Hebrew scholar says for them to use, for them to use the singular word bruise, you could not tell. If you could have seen one stripe on his back, if you could see specifically one stripe from another, you could not have used the, the, the singular word. His whole body was opened up. So that we can be healed. So don't think healing has anything to do with you. Don't think God's up there going, okay, you know, I mean, if Miss Jeanette would just, if she would quote it a little bit clearer, no, 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 God, he's Jehovah, he's the God of action, he's literally sitting on the edge of his throne going, I'm ready, I'm here, Jesus is like, I'm ready to perform that word, all I need to see is faith, right? I love that. With his bruise or with his stripes, we are healed. Jesus paid the price which did something about sin on the cross. Jesus paid the price which did something about sickness on the cross. Jesus paid the price and did something about poverty and lack on the cross. Now if you jump down to verse 10 as we kind of close this down. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruise means to smite and to crush. It actually pleased God the Father who loves the Son to crush him. It literally means one, mess of tor one mass of torn flesh. You couldn't, you couldn't see one stripe from another. He, talking about God, hath put him, Jesus, to grief. This word grief means he put him to sickness. The Isaac Lesser version of the only, our version is the only Bible recognized by the Orthodox Jews as a proper translation from Hebrew to English. And this is what Isaac Lesser's said. He hath made him sick. How did God the Father make Jesus sick? Did he, does he have sickness? No. He took all of the sickness, all of the disease, all the result of the curse of the law, which came on man because of sin. He took all of that and did that. He took all of it. Jesus, in other words, was made sick with your sickness and my sickness. So you don't have to be sick. Wow. Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease in the same way he made, paid the price for sin. God placed the punishment of sin and sickness on Jesus. Jesus was our substitute, therefore healing belongs to us. Hallelujah. Jesus was made sin so that we could be made righteous. Wow, I love that. This is an amazing thing, isn't it, guys? God wants you well. God has no plan for there to be sickness and disease in this church or in his children. And I believe, it burns in my heart, I believe we're going to see a healing revival 
that this world has never seen. It's going to be so much greater than the healing revival of the 40s and 50s. Miracles, signs, and wonders, but it starts with us. How does it start? By you and I taking the word and standing on it, and through faith and patience, we receive the promise and eradicate sickness and disease from our life. You want to get so sensitive that when you wake up with a headache, you are just all out. Satan, you are defeated. I'm not putting up with this, right? Now do that, do that while you're walking to get your Advil, whatever. But you just, you just believe God, right? And when you take Advil or if you're taking medicine to help you right now, that has nothing to do with your faith. Take it in faith. Look at those pills and say, I won't be taking you very long because I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I don't care what ailment it is. You might have a missing body part. You might have had, listen, you might have had a kidney taken out and you only have one left. Wouldn't that be cool if all of a sudden you go get your yearly physical and you got two kidneys, right? You might have had your voice box dealt with and all of a sudden one day you, you wake up with a new one. Is that too big for God? Absolutely not. He bore it. He did it. It's ours. And I'm here to tell you, we will preach this. I don't care if the whole world is saying, God heals some and not others. We say to that, that's nonsense. For it is written. And we're going to learn how to walk this out together. Amen?